Welcome to the Lex Autolease Greener Futures podcast on the future of electric vehicles. Here, Quentin Wilson and our expert panel review how existing technologies can help businesses to meet their social and environmental responsibilities. Welcome everybody to the Greener Futures uh, panel discussion. I thought it might be best to begin with reasons why we're all here and, and, and what expertise we bring to this discussion. Thank you, Quentin. I'm Chris Chandler. I'm Principal Consultant at Lex Auto Lease. Hi, Carl Anders, National EV Manager at uh, Nissan Fleet. I'm Jay Palmer, I'm Director of Policy at the BVLA, the British Vehicle Rental Leasing Association. My name's Keith Budden, I'm Head of Business Development at Senex. And finally, uh, me, Quentin Wilson, I started up uh, Fair Fuel UK. I'm also an electric car pioneer. There's a lot of scepticism still about EVs out there, so let's deal with some of the, the urban myths. As someone who drives one every day, they are great for urban use. I still struggle to do long distances. It's about choosing the right EV or hybrid for your needs, isn't it? Absolutely. There's no one one size fits all here. That starting point is turning to what are my actual transport needs and therefore what technology will meet those needs best. If you're a high mileage motorway driver doing 30,000 miles a year as, as, as a business driver, an electric vehicle with a 150 mile range probably isn't going to be suitable for you. Neither would be a plug-in hybrid that could do, let's say, 20 miles in electric mode, then switches over to, to petrol. But when you start moving into the more urban-centric driving, then pure electrics are an excellent choice because the fuel costs are greatly reduced. So fuel for a Pure EV is going to probably cost you somewhere between 2 to 4p per mile compared to a good diesel being about 10 to 14p per mile. You get other benefits such as government grants which reduce the price of the vehicle. But the real benefit is the fuel cost and the fact that those vehicles are producing no tailpipe emissions. And low maintenance costs as well. On a pure electric, we're finding maintenance is some 30% yeah. or more lower than an equivalent diesel vehicle, for instance. So, Carl, tell me how many battery <laughs> failures you, you've had. And it was, was it 12? Uh, no, it was less than that, and it wasn't battery failures because you're also including the uh, accident damage vehicles in there. So it was a, it was in the single figures. So the reliability of the, of the vehicles is is immense, and the batteries, particularly, they're lasting so much longer. And we've seen lots of Nissan Leafs on taxi companies with 175,000 miles on them, and they're still 90% charge. You're completely right. And to use Chris's point in terms of things like um, uh, brake pads, and because we, we obviously deal with a lot of taxi companies, uh, they, they like EVs when they take them on. And we've got, I can think of one example where they have a, a medium-sized saloons and they also have Leafs. So in the three and a half, four years that they've operated the Leafs, their drivers, the same drivers, if they're in the in the other car, can go through a set of pads in three to four months. Um, they've still got Leafs, some of their early ones, which still haven't had a brake pad uh, change. I know. So they're very, very good. And this is because um, of regenerative braking, isn't it? Yes. And it, it, it helps create more electricity, slows the car down without needing to touch the touch the brake, which is great. You've come here, haven't you, today, in an electric car. You came... I don't need to charge it up that often. I mean, it has a range in winter with the heating on, driving on motorways, uh, never more than 70, obviously, about 150 miles. 
without a problem. In summer, driving more slowly on country lanes, I can probably get 160, 165, and it's great. It's, it's just fun to drive. I only live 30 miles from here, so I don't even have to think twice about charging it up whilst I'm here. But I think it has to be said that if you're doing regular motorway work, then your range will go down, and you have to Absolutely. drive like a, a district nurse to keep that. Not necessarily. It depends on the journey. Yeah. If I know I've got to drive 150 miles round trip, I will drive more carefully and I'll put eco mode on. If I've got to do a 130 miles trip, I won't bother. Yeah. And what would you say the efficiency in temperature is when it drops significantly? Do you lose 10, 20%? About 10%, I'd say. 10%. The new heating systems, both in the, in the Renault and in the Nissan, are so much more efficient than the older yeah, ones. Yeah, they, they, they really are. So you can put the heating on and be nice and warm and not really impact on battery range. And the myths about putting the lights on around the radio, that has absolutely zero yeah, It's a 12-volt battery that yeah. runs those. Yeah. Yeah. I, I can sit on in my lift with the heated steering wheel, the heated yeah. seats on, and the heater on full, and you know, only, only lose about 10 miles. Yeah. I think that's an important point to make, because some of the early vehicles were... Punishment wagons. <laughs> they, they were <laughs> I more, drove them. Yeah. You really had to want to drive an electric yeah. vehicle, because you, you had all sort of factors that you had to balance with regards to a fairly short range, and they were petrol cars that, that have been converted yeah, exactly. to electric. The current generation of, of, of Zoe, Leaf, etc. They're built from <coughs> the ground up to be electric and that's important because all those auxiliary systems have been designed to be as low draw as possible to maintain those ranges and the battery costs and the actual size of the batteries have been reducing which really is meaning we're now getting into vehicles that we're finding even in fleet environments. If you can go 150, 200 miles before a charge, that actually works for quite a significant population. Probably 90% of the population mm. whose average commute is 17 miles. Correct, but and same with, the, same with the vans, because you know, people keep saying we have to get the vans over a specific range, so we've now gone to the bigger batteries, mm -hmm. although they'll now do 120 odd miles, 124 miles, so the average delivery van a day does 55 miles, so you're now at the stage where you only have to charge up a delivery van every few, every few miles. I think the more, as, as we get a higher range, it's not just an urban thing, it's now, I, I do 120 miles yeah. round trip, it's not urban, it's motorway. So for those kind of things you can now do on electric vehicles. We're doing quite a lot of work with fleets now trying to help them decide that they may not need to buy the bigger battery because they don't need it, that they don't need to pay the additional cost. They really need to understand what their current duty cycles are in cities and then to buy the appropriate vehicle, which might be the smaller battery version because it's cheaper. They may need some of the bigger batteries for particular routes. As a general routes, rule, I would advise anybody considering an EV to get the biggest battery possible <laughs> with the longest range. Just to future-proof it, future-proof your, your, your residual value. Let's talk very quickly about chargers, because it's not ideal out there. We've got lots of um, uh, three-kilowatt legacy chargers that take a long time to charge these cars up. We don't have enough motorway chargers, and really we need more 50-kilowatt and even 100-kilowatt chargers. Mm -hmm. Um, if you had to say to government, what, what do we need as a charging infrastructure, what would, what would that look like, Jay? Yes, I think you're, we're hitting that tipping point. Um, we're still way behind where we need to be from a registration point of view. Mm. Only half a percent of all vehicles being sold are electric vehicles. And again, the, the Committee of Climate Change own prediction saying, yeah, absolutely needs to be much higher than that. So I think we are... In fact, let's just get, go over that figure. The Committee of Climate Change are saying by 20, 2030, yeah. 
it's going to be 60% EV penetration. penetration. Those are linked directly back to the CO2 targets the government needs to achieve overall, and transport can play a big role. I think the big challenge is that leap of faith. You know, it's an unknown technology to most businesses and individuals. And it's what we're trying to do is encourage government to stimulate that demand by doing other things. Yes, EVs are a different way of driving. You need to think about charging them. You need to be planning ahead. So if consumers and businesses are going to be thinking about those changes, it's a lifestyle change. It takes currently less than three minutes to charge up um, a diesel or petrol vehicle, and you've got 400, 500 miles in your vehicle. So there is an inconvenience, an impractical point of view. However, that could be easily offset by the cost savings that you could achieve, planning, better planning and better consideration. But also I think what the government, what we're calling on the government to do is to give more in-life incentives. So it's things like making a difference. So if you're sitting in a, a busy, congested street, you should be able to use the bus lanes to, to with As buying, Norway does. As Norway does. With great success. And you should give a bit more tax certainty. So we were simply saying for the next 10 years, give those vehicles a tax break, a very clear tax break. So that's not in the first hand market, but in the second hand market, it actually passes through. They shouldn't so have VAT on them. Should, absolutely. And there are things like free parking. So good global examples of where the best selling car is an electric vehicle. And yet you look at the UK, one of the worst selling cars is an EV. So that needs to change if we're going to meet those targets. And we could suddenly, um, with good sensible tax policies, we believe that can change. But going back to your point about infrastructure and charging, you know, um, technology around this is moving at a pace. If you just look at your iPhone, you know, how an iPhone five years ago is different to an iPhone today. Battery technology is moving at a pace. I mean, there's some bright boffins working in the background looking at the R&D. So once it takes a little longer to charge up your battery, I don't think that's gonna be the case in five years time. I think it'd be a much more efficient, rapid process. You drive an EV every day, Carl. How often do you have to charge? You do quite a long commute, don't you? Yeah, well, it varies. Like typical um, person in the field, no two days are the same. So if I'm going to the, the office, which is a 120 mile round trip in my car, uh, I will be charging it once a day. However, if I've got shorter uh, journeys, which I quite often do, I will then be charging every few days. You tend to find that when you start with an EV, you, you do try and maximise the charge. So you, if you come home and it's got 70%, you charge it. But in time, when you get used to it, you do it less and less. So if I know I'm going to use 40% the next day and I've got 50 60% in the battery, I won't bother charging it. I'll only really charge it when I need to. And that's good husbandry, actually, in terms of batteries, isn't it? You should only charge it when it gets to a certain level, less than 30, I think. Yes, yeah. It, it, does, it does seem to, to have a, an impact there. The, the, the ideal for a battery for longevity isn't to take it from 100% 90 charge, 100% 70 charge. It's, it's to actually use it, so you're better off getting it down to a level and then, and then recharging it. That, that, they seem to like that. And then, of course, with rapid charging, motorway charging, you can effectively double your, your range or treble your range every day. I can, I can double that in 40 minutes yeah. and then do it again in London. So if you've got the time, and that's the important point, you've got to have the time to be able to do this, to sit at a service station with a rapid charger, and it'll cost you seven quid, seven and a half quid to do that, then your theoretical range from today's current cars mm. is as much as four, 400 miles. Completely right, and because you can, if you look at, say, sitting on the motorway at 70, we're already at the point where you can do two hours um, in your electric vehicle, 
between charges and people should be stopping every two hours anyway so if you can then stop for have a coffee for you don't have to then go back up to 100 percent all you need is a, is a squirt and yeah. that will actually increase your range quite a bit so while you stop for 15 20 minutes put it on the rapid you can then do it that way and you can hop around my my team use their electric vehicles and i sign off their expenses and sometimes the mileage they can do in a day is quite phenomenal the battery technology is progressing really well, so we are getting batteries that are the same size but are now a higher energy density and giving better ranges. The UK is a fairly small place and we're now getting plug-in vehicles, uh, pure electrics, that can do 150 to 250 miles on a single charge, which does actually mean most people will be able to just charge the vehicle from home overnight and do the vast majority of their driving on one charge. The battery technology will carry on improving for the foreseeable future. And I think that's when people will start getting a lot more comfortable with what ranges they do. You may fill up your petrol or diesel car uh, once a week or once a fortnight, but you know, with your electric vehicle, you'll be plugging it in depending on your mileage, maybe once every two, three nights, or you might actually be plugging it in every night and catching an extra sort of charge at a service station if you're doing really long journeys. But we're really now, I think, in that zone where the ranges have moved from sort of just under 100 miles per charge to the 150 to 250, which we're finding for the average business user um, okay. is, is, is plenty. It's a little bit more than just the battery because the leaf you've got, because we had that in the market for seven years, we've now just released the first second generation vehicle. So battery's only part of it, it's actually the efficiency of the engine as well. The vehicle itself is getting more miles per kilowatt hour battery than the other one was. And I think that's kind of the benefit of having 300,000 of them running around. You can work out how to optimize how the vehicle works. And that's and, and why you've got to do your research and absolutely. know what your needs are. And if you've got that time in your life yeah. to be able to do two hours at a service station, yeah. I remember Mercedes produced this fabulous B-class electric, wonderful car, no fast charging facility. And you just wonder why. So you have to ask these questions and get clued yeah. up. And there's no excuse because there's loads of websites where you can get all this information. Green car technology, mm -hmm. green car information is now out there and, and, and really, really available. At the end of the day, residual values are a funny thing and they will vary from manufacturer and from model and how many are being sold in the marketplace. But I think the key thing for me is residual values are built into our lease rental rate. If somebody's looking at an equivalent lease cost or whole life cost for an electric versus a diesel, for instance, you can actually generate significant cost savings by taking the electric. There's always going to be an initial challenge in the second-hand market because fleet operators tend to be more informed about new technologies than the general public. You have people in the general public who, who have a passion and research and will be actively out there buying electric vehicles. But the bit we want is that move to more mainstream yeah. where the average Joe public will walk onto a second-hand forecourt and will look at an electric in the same way as any other fueled vehicle. This is an interesting point. When are we going to get to that stage? Because we've had lots of early adopters, lots of evangelists who have, have bought these cars, and they would have bought them at any cost and put up with all sorts of difficulties, as, as we around this table have. But when do you think we'll get to the stage where what we, we would call mainstream consumers, mainstream businesses, will buy EVs really without thinking? So you would expect that big increase in supply and being replaced, RVs would soften. 
the opposite happened because the used vehicle market has taken off because if you look at that, the risk of the, basically the return against cost, people are now starting to realise that a three to four to five year old EV, because they're very, very ruggedly reliable and the batteries are lasting, that's actually taken off and a lot of the big used car um, sites are doing a lot more training with their, with their staff. So when the people who are selling a used car used to not know about EV, it's gone past the niche bit. So it's actually increased a lot. So I would argue the tipping point for electric vehicles in the used market has already hit because we did 3,000 alone to our dealers yeah, last the work year. we've done is this year, Mr. George has risen by 42% yeah. in the electric vehicle market. So yeah, it proves your point. The interesting dynamics there is about the supply yeah. of those vehicles coming into the second hand market. And I think to answer your question, when will it become mainstream? Mm. It'll only become mainstream if the first hand market is buying those and feeding the second hand market. Yeah. Otherwise, I think it's a bit of chicken and egg. You won't get the big mass adoption over, overnight. Mm. So, that, but how far, Jay, are we away from that moment? I think we're still far away. I mean, if you look at the total number of registrations, mm. half a percent. Half a percent of, it's nowhere near where yeah. we need to be. So I think this is a wake up call for the government that you've got fantastic products being produced, they're readily available, and it's the government needing need to stimulate that demand, both in the first and in the second air market. We've got these go-ultra-low cities, so they're test beds to promote and educate consumers, and I think that's what's needed. It's about educating consumers' awareness. We're certainly a good way along the path because, as I said before, when we started, it was all fear of the technology and, and the reliability and... <laughs> You know, after two years, you'd be replacing the batteries and all this sort of misinformation. Which would cost £8,000. Yes. Absolutely. And, and so the conversations that we have with our customers have moved from, will this actually work, to how much money are we going to save? And issues with regards to, you know, if, if people can charge the vehicles at home or, you know, so some of the other practical issues. If you look at somewhere like Portsmouth, where I think it's got some of the highest density housing in the UK, hardly anybody's got a drive to park their vehicle on. Mm -hmm. So, you know, you need to look at some sort of mass street charging well, yeah, I mean, in areas such as that. Tell us, instance. Keith, about, you know, lamppost charging. There's a whole range of different options being put forward for those one-third of the population that don't have a driveway. Mm. If you own a car and you don't have a driveway, it's very difficult to move to electric. So London and other places are trying lamppost charging. And they're also kind of the general, they can, can't be fast charging, they can only be so three kilowatts? Well, th three to seven kilowatts. Yeah. So again, if you've got a big battery, that's quite a long time. But enough to do it overnight. Yeah, uh, yeah. So what we're finding is supermarkets thinking quite creatively about how to, to win more footfall by providing charging infrastructure in their car parks and how potentially to link that to their loyalty cards to reward their customers with a cheaper cost of charging. It brings other problems because if, with the mass uptake of EVs, can I book that place? Because I don't want to turn up and find that there's four vehicles in charging front of me. Charging congestion. The other areas obviously is moving towards more this so-called mobility as a service. So I rent the car when I want mm. it. If I live in a big city, I don't need to own a car. I might want a car, but I'll rent it for an hour, a half a day, a day or a weekend. And I'll choose the appropriate vehicle for the journey I'm going to do. So I think that we'll see a lot more flexibility in ownership. And the same for, I guess, challenge for lease operators as well. And that's exactly what we do, because it just allows that bit of flexibility. And if you can demonstrate to somebody that they're saving X, X pounds per year using an electric vehicle and 
using you know, cheap electricity rather than expensive petrol and diesel. You demonstrate how much they save a year. If they did want to go on holiday or tow a caravan, then uh, you know, we, we have uh, daily rental options where you basically you phone up the daily rental and you'll have a car delivered on your drive. And that's playing quite nicely into the sector. You almost got that net Netflix culture merging into the yeah. motoring world mm -hmm. where people are moving away from ownership to usership. Mm -hmm. And that sort of dynamics where actually you don't need to think about just having one car for for the entire 365 days of the year. You can have a mixture of different vehicles for your needs. It's, it's taking the, the right vehicle for the right application, if, if you like, to the next level. First, you get one for your everyday needs. Mm -hmm. You don't buy a big 4x4 for that one summer holiday that you do in the south of France if you live in a city centre and you drive it all day, every day around the city centre. You get something that's appropriate for a city centre and then you go and get one of those vehicles when you need it for the two weeks um, or whatever. The, the nice thing about an electric vehicle is, is it's a clean and even um, power, delivery, power yeah. delivery. And if you're driving around an urban area for instance what we found with some of the commercial vehicle drivers we've got a customer with 48 electric vehicles operating in Portsmouth area and all their drivers at their site is 20 mile an hour speed limited and most of Portsmouth is now 20 mile an hour so you're forever in and out of first yeah, yeah. first gear and to sit in an electric vehicle where you basically just drive it on the accelerator with regenerative brake. It's a good point actually. Driving an electric car makes you safer. It's as simple as that because you're more measured, you are trying to harvest your energy, you're not banging the throttle all the time, you're not jabbing on the brakes and, and you have a much, much gentler, more measured progress. Let's finish by getting everybody's view of how they want to see the world of electric cars and hybrids in the next five years. Jay, what, what's your kind of vision? I think the adoption is, is going to naturally happen. However, I think government now need to start thinking about what that five-year horizon needs to look like. Fuel duty is going to decline. You know, the taxes the government collects for schools and hospitals is on its way out. So what's going to replace that? And I think that's where we're trying to have a, a constructive conversation with government, potentially even conversations around road pricing. I also think this is a good collaboration where we've talked about energy companies can get involved, how different um, retailers can get involved. I think we're in a very positive space where we've got different parties for the first time working quite collaboratively. I think that can only be good for EV driving. What about you? Well, I think in the next five to 10 years, all new vehicles operating in cities, cars and vans will be 100% electric. I don't think they'll be hybrid. I would like to see ranges of up to 300 miles for mainstream 25 grand cars and charging much more prevalent uh, and also charging that you can achieve in maybe 10 minutes, not an hour. The infrastructure, there are some really good signs on the horizon, um, some ultra high speed chargers at 350 kilowatt. I think what we've got to make sure is that we continue as various industries to talk to each other to make sure that there's a joined up view with how we actually achieve this, because it, it is a big change and infrastructure is important. And Carl, as the uh, maker of the most electric cars in the world, I kind of know what your ambitions are. <laughs> but in the next five years, without giving us any secrets, what do you think that, that landscape is gonna look like? Is there gonna be a huge amount of change? I think it will, I've been in the industry 29 years now, 
and I think we've been through periods of slow evolution for, for decades. At the moment, we are going through quite a vast revolution, really. In the last hundred years, this is the biggest Absolutely. change in the landscape ever. It, it's a development of the technology, so we then go into our, our third generation car, our fourth generation car. I think that's very important. But for me, the big evolutionary step is the move into digital connected vehicles. And that's where we do things like, as you say, how does the car become not just a piece of transport, a revan, just something for moving around. The electric vehicle will take that step into something else. So the form it'll take in five years' time isn't petrol or diesel versus electric. It's uh, basically, it's a, it's a new use. And I think for me, that's the, the big change. Gentlemen, thank you very much for your insights and contributions. And here's to a greener, cleaner future. Join our Greener Futures expert panel again to discover what clean air zones and the Worldwide Harmonised Light Vehicle Testing Procedure, or WLTP for short, mean for the future of fleet management. Alternatively, visit www.lexautolease.co.uk forward slash driving intelligence.